Jonah is an unusual book of the Bible for a variety of reasons. One of the reasons is that everybody knows something about Jonah. They know about the whale or the great fish. And for a lot of people, that's all they know. They think that's the whole story, that Jonah got swallowed up. And if they know anything more than that, they think, well, and then he built this fire inside of there and he and Pinocchio got spit out and that's about all they know. The interesting thing is that really the being swallowed by the, the, the Hebrew text calls it a great fish in the New Testament. When Jesus talks about it, he calls it a sea monster. Whatever it was, it was a specially prepared animal or fish to, to swallow up Jonah. It's a really a very small part of the story. The story is actually much larger than that. And Jonah is a small enough book that you could read it in just a few minutes. When you get home this afternoon, you can read the whole book. It's, it won't take you very long. And one of the things that you'll be, you'll find interesting is how many times the word great appears in, in the small book of Jonah. In the Hebrew text, the word great appears about 16 times, and they're all different kinds of great things. There's a great fish, there's a great storm, there's a great God, there's a great city, all different kinds of great things. And today I want, as we look at the fourth chapter of Jonah, the very end of the story, I want us to think about three great things that we can take with us and that God can help us to learn a good lesson from a bad example because Jonah is a, he's the griping prophet. He's not happy. He's pouts. He's not glad about what God has done. And I want us today to think about what we can learn from that. But before that, let's read the fourth chapter of Jonah. Jonah chapter four. Jonah is a small book, so you may have to turn to the table of contents, but that's okay. It's just, you can find it. It's not a book that you hear a lot about except when you're a kid in Sunday school because it's so exciting to think about somebody getting swallowed by a whale. And you may have heard at some point that there was a guy that was actually swallowed by a whale and he survived and all that's probably nonsense. This is a miraculous thing that happens. This is a special fish. It's not a tiger shark or some other kind of a fish. And in the fourth chapter, what has happened is that Jonah has gone and preached to Nineveh. The people have repented. Even the animals have repented. And now Jonah stands outside of the city of Nineveh in chapter 4, and this is what happened. Jonah chapter 4, starting in verse 1. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord, and he said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you were a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and he sat to the east of the city and he made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. And so Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when the dawn came up, the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. 
And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do. I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor. You did not make it grow and which came into being in a night and it perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? What's going on here with Jonah, and why is he pouting and griping like he is? Three great things I think that you'll see in the in this fourth chapter that really, that that are bound up in the fourth chapter that play out in the whole book. The first one is a great anger. You notice in verse one that Jonah is really angry. He's very angry. Why is it that Jonah is so angry? It's interesting, Jonah is angry because of the fact that God has caused a great revival in Nineveh. He's angry because the people listened to his preaching. He's angry because all these people in Nineveh have turned their face toward God. They have put on sackcloth and ashes. Even the animals have put on sackcloth and ashes. And a great revival and a turning to Yahweh has happened. And Jonah is not happy about that. It seems crazy, doesn't it? That Jonah would go and preach to people and get mad when they listened to what he had to say. But the reason is, quite simply that Jonah is a racist. Jonah does not like the Assyrian people. They were the ones who inhabited the city, the great city of Nineveh. Jonah doesn't like them. The Assyrian people had at one point been very, very strong in the Middle East. And Jonah remembered stories of times when the Assyrian people would come in and kill lots of people. When the Assyrian people would come in and kill pregnant mothers by placing them on a stake. He remembered the stories of the people of Assyria being so incredibly wicked toward the children of Israel. He didn't want to go preach there. That's the reason that he's mad. He's mad because he's, God finally encouraged him very strongly to go to Nineveh where he was supposed to go. Jonah, remember, tried to run away. That's when he gets thrown off the ship. He gets swallowed by the great fish. He gets spit up. Finally, he goes to Nineveh. And those people there in Nineveh, they listen to what he has to say, and a great change happens. And Jonah is really mad. He hates that. He doesn't want those people to know about God. In Jonah's mind, God is for a him and for his people, not for those Assyrians, not for those Ninevites. God, why in the world would you allow those Ninevites to repent? Jonah, you see, wanted the city of Nineveh to be destroyed. That's why he goes outside the city. He still happens to believe and he's still hoping that God will destroy the city of Nineveh in spite of the fact that they've repented. sits out there waiting for it. Jonah is really angry. But there's a second great in the passage, and that's a great city. You'll notice that in 
the 11th verse, God calls Nineveh a great city. And there are numbers of other times in the book when Nineveh is called a great city. And the word great doesn't just mean gigantically big, although it means that. Nineveh was a really, really big city. But it was also dense in population. There were lots and lots of people there. Jonah fails to realize that God cares about cities and he cares about the people who live in the city. If you've ever heard Tim Keller, who pastors Redeemer Church in New York, if you've ever heard him speak, he often says, God cares more about people than he does about plants. And so he cares about cities because there are more people inside of them than there are plants. And he encourages those whom he ministers to and those whom he mentors, he encourages them to stay in the city, to get into that large, booming populace and to minister for the gospel because that's where the people are. And he tells us about time and time and time again when history has been changed because Christians have stayed in the city. Times when incredible things have happened because Christians have stayed in the city. This is a big city. We don't know exactly how many people were there in Nineveh. You notice the last verse, God says to to Jonah, he says, there are 120,000 people who don't know their right hand from their left hand. We don't know exactly what that means. It's kind of an idiom. One of the things about Hebrew is that it's a very idiomatic language. Sometimes when you translate it, you still don't know exactly what it means to say. And that's one of the cases here. This is some kind of an idiom. I remember when I was... In school, there was a friend of mine who was from Korea, and so he had learned English in Korea. And I would say things to him like, you know, it's raining cats and dogs, some idiomatic phrase, and he would say, what this means? And so he had learned English, but he didn't know exactly these idioms that we have. And that's what's going on here. We don't know exactly what this idiom is because it doesn't occur anywhere else in the Hebrew Bible. Some think it means children were mentally handicapped, people who literally don't know their right hand from their left hand. And if that were the case, then there would probably be, you know, nearly a million people in the city of Nineveh. Others say, no, this is the entire population of Nineveh. And what it means is people who just don't know the difference between right and wrong. And this is an idiomatic way of saying they don't know the difference between right and wrong because they don't know their difference from their right hand from their left hand. Whatever the case is, Whatever this has to say to us, we know that God is saying this city has lots and lots and lots of people. And these people need something desperately. We live in a city. And sometimes I'm afraid that church is an excuse for us to just gather together and think about ourselves instead of looking out and thinking about how God can change the lives of those thousands and thousands of people that are around us. Sometimes I'm afraid that we, we are so caught up in ourselves that we fail to look outside, and that's what Jonah did. He said, I want God to be my God, not your God. I don't want these people to know about God. I don't want God to forgive them. I don't want them to know grace. But this was a great city who desperately, desperately needed the grace of God. And that's the third thing that we see in this text. We see a great anger on the part of Jonah. 
We see a great city that is Nineveh. But the last thing we see and the most important thing that we see is a great God. Because God is willing to forgive the people of Nineveh and the animals of Nineveh, interestingly enough. If you read through Jonah, you'll realize that not only do the people put on sackcloth and ashes, not only do the people repent, but it seems to tell us that even the animals repented. I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know how you'd be able to tell when an animal repented. I have two beagles at home and neither one of them seem very repentant (laughs) to me when they chew up my wife's shoes or my Greek book. They just doesn't, they've never said, you know, that was really wrong of me and I wish I hadn't done it. They're just happy about it. But whatever happens there, something goes on and there's this spirit of repentance that comes over this whole entire city and God grants to them forgiveness. That's the great God. You notice that Jonah says, God, that's why I didn't want to come here. I didn't want to come here and I didn't want to preach to these people because I knew that you were a God who would forgive them and I didn't want that. It's a shame when you think about what Jonah was like. And yet the truth of the matter is there's a little bit of Jonah in all of us. And God asks Jonah a question at the end of the book. You see, Jonah's gone outside the city and there was this obviously very hot in the Middle East. And so God causes this plant to grow up over Jonah. God does a variety of miraculous things in the book. He prepares this fish that swallows Jonah and then he miraculously prepares this plant that grows up over Jonah. And the The plant lives only for a day and then it dies. And Jonah is really, really angry. And he says to God, what in the world is wrong with you? Why did you let this plant die in one day? And God says to Jonah, hmm, you're really upset about this plant. And you had nothing to do with the plant. But you wanted me to be gracious to the plant. If I should be gracious to the plant, Jonah, don't you think I should be gracious to this great city of Nineveh where they don't know what they're doing? And that's the way the book ends. We don't know what Jonah said to that. It's one of the two books in the Bible that ends with a question. This book ends with God asking Jonah that question. Shouldn't my grace be for all of those that are around, not just for those that look like you or speak like you or act like you? Shouldn't the grace of God be much, much larger than that? And of course it should, and it is. And that's why Jonah is a bad example. But he gives us good lessons. He gives us the lessons that each one of us ought to be gracious He tells us that we all ought to realize that God's grace is a wonderful, wonderful thing. Jonah, as he stands outside Nineveh and he says, forgiveness is unfair. We we can see that, can't we? Forgiveness in some ways is unfair. And so maybe it would be more fair if we were a Hindu and we practice the doctrine of karma and karma says that whatever you do bad you have to keep being reincarnated until you do enough good things to outweigh your bad things that's a scary thought because I would need a lot of lives I'd need to be reincarnated 
lot of times. And I'm afraid it would never be enough. Jesus, though, doesn't say get reincarnated until you do all the right things. Jesus says, I'll do all the right things for you. And you see, it was Jonah who sat outside the city and who railed against the city and who hated the city and who hated the inhabitants of the city. But Jesus was dragged outside the city and he died for the city and he died with love and forgiveness for those people that are inside the city. And so the lesson that we learn from Jonah's bad example is that God is an incredibly gracious God. And no matter what kind of people we have been in the past, whether we have been wicked Assyrians or wicked Floridians, God's grace is still enough. There is no one here today who has sinned so badly that God's grace is not enough for you. That's what Jesus did when he was dragged outside the city. There was a, a, a show years ago by Bill Moyers on PBS about the song Amazing Grace. You might have seen it a long time ago, back about 1996. And in it, he tells this story of a concert at Wembley Stadium. 70,000 fans were there to hear bands like Guns N' Roses and other hard rock bands. And they were there drinking and yelling and screaming for 12 hours. And then it became time for one single act to come out. Her name was Jessie Norman. She's an opera singer. And she came out onto the stage with just a small spotlight following her. No backup singers, no instruments, just her and that small light. And the crowd starts yelling. The crowd starts yelling for more guns and roses. And others start to take up the cry. And for a minute, it seems as if this is going to be a very, very ugly scene. But Jessie Norman, with nothing but her voice, begins very, very slowly. She takes up singing, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. And there's a remarkable thing that happens there to 70,000 fans of music in Wembley Stadium who had been drinking all day and screaming out whatever they wanted. An amazing thing happens in Wembley Stadium. The fans fall silent before her song of grace. And by the time Jesse Norman reaches the third verse... "'Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home." Several thousand fans are singing along with her, digging back into the early memories for words that they had heard long ago. Because you see, all of us have a desperate need to drink 
at the fountain of grace. Jessie Norman, later on when she was interviewed, she said, I don't have any idea what happened that night. She says, the only thing I can think of is that the world thirsts for grace. That stadium in the midst of that gigantic city of London thirsts for grace. And when grace descends, the world falls silent before it. And so let each of us not be people like Jonah, but let us be people of grace. Because it is an amazing thing that God has been so gracious to save us And it's an amazing message that we have for those that are around us.